please rise as you are able and receive these words from the gospel according to Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning in the 27th verse. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even, lo for even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom, from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the ways that you give us grace and mercy, that you ground us in your love. Right now, oh God, I pray that you would help, help me preach a word that comes from you, that lands where it needs to land. I offer it in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. This poem, attributed to the Sufi poet Hafiz, is a beautiful illustration of what Jesus is talking about in our gospel for today. Again and again, Jesus names things in what Kira read for us so beautifully. Jesus names things that, according to the world, would expect some kind of payback. For example, if someone hurts you, then the going wisdom is, you hurt them back. If someone speaks ill of you, give your version of a smear campaign right back. If your property is taken, well, of course, you're going to want it back. The worldly relational economy is tit for tat, eye for an eye an economy of gifts only on loan, always with fine print, 
an economy of debts to be paid and always with interest. But as Pastor Kelly pointed out last week, in Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, of which today's reading is a continuation, what Jesus says is directly counter to worldly expectations and teaching. Not only does Jesus teach not to seek payback for harm, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good, and lend without expecting anything in return. Like the sun who never says to the earth, You owe me. You see, this is a whole different economy. This is a kingdom economy. These provocative teachings of Jesus can easily get twisted and turn the other cheek and love your enemies have been used to encourage persons in abusive relationships to stay and to continue to take the blows That is not Jesus' point, and it must always be spoken aloud when these verses are shared in public. Jesus is not saying that to be a good Christian, you have to be a doormat for abusers or remain in a life-threatening relationship. Jesus is teaching an ethic of love based on the love of God for us. This ethic of love calls upon each of us to claim our own sacred worth, voice, dignity, and agency such that we know we deserve to be treated with gentleness and care. And when we've been hurt, to not go low by retaliating in kind, but to go high by maintaining our dignity, choosing not to return evil for evil, hate for hate, or violence for violence. It's also easy to twist these teachings of Jesus such that we focus on the reward that's promised. Upon quick review, It may sound like Jesus is saying that if you don't judge other people, then other people won't judge you. Or if you don't condemn others, that you're not going to get condemned by other people. Or if you give without expecting anything in return, you'll get all that back because you've been so good. But let's be serious. You can hold your tongue. You can work hard to be gracious toward others, you can give generously of yourself and of your resources to other people, and they can turn around and betray, hurt, and judge you. Sometimes others might do unto you as you have done unto them in kindness. But so often in the world, it's harm that gets reciprocated. Mercy and generosity and kindness don't seem quite as regularly given back 
So what do we do with this teaching of Jesus? I want us to notice that in verses 35 and 6, the reward that is mentioned is not coming from other people. The reward for, for, for what Jesus is talking about is coming from the grace of God present in you. The reward for following the teaching of Jesus is that you are not living beneath your dignity. Or said positively, the reward for living according to the teaching of Jesus is that by allowing the love and generosity and mercy of God to be manifest in your life, you are reflecting God. You are being merciful as your mother, father is merciful. You are living as the child of the most high that you are instead of the alternative. This this teaching is among one of the most powerful insights Howard Thurman illuminates in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Thurman is painfully aware of the ways that Christian teachings have gotten twisted, teachings about heaven, forgiveness, love, and the like, how they can sound like a call for black Americans and others whose backs are against the wall to just stay there to forgive their oppressors 70 times seven and to wait for liberation in the great by and by. But Thurman insisted that Jesus' teaching is, quote, a technique of survival for the oppressed and calls for a radical change in the inner attitude of the people. Thurman claims that, quote, anyone who permits another to determine the quality of their inner life gives into the hands of the other the keys to their destiny. In other words, when others go low, what do you allow that to do to your inner attitude? This focus by Thurman on the inner attitude is not about disconnecting from the real suffering and injustice of the world, but rather it's a way of not being utterly destroyed by it. It's a way of maintaining dignity and agency to act when everything around you wants to steal or destroy those sacred gifts. Thurman highlights Jesus' teaching that regardless of our outward circumstances, we have agency of our inner attitude, and our inner attitude affects and drives our outward response and action, which is, of course, necessary. Over the past number of weeks, through both sermons and witnesses, from siblings in the Foundry family, we've been focusing on those spiritual practices that are part of our covenant as Foundry UMC, prayers, presence, gifts, service, witnesses. These, these practices are all ways that we attend to, nourish, strengthen, and form our inner life and attitude. 
Because, you know, you don't just wake up one day and have the inner resources to persevere in peace, love, and dignity when you are in a moment of adversity. When someone is coming at you, when you find yourself in a place of conflict and pain. You can't just click your ruby slippers three times and grow in love or in the capacity to trust. Because everything in the world around us trains us for retaliation, for defensiveness, for quid pro quo. Part of John Wesley's genius, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, Part of Wesley's genius was creating a system and a method to assist human spiritual growth, to create spaces and intentional community where people like you and me can regularly put ourselves into the flow of God's unending grace, love, and mercy, and as a result, reflect more of God in our lives. Practices and partners with whom to share the journey are key. We need one another. Prayers and scriptural reflection. Presence in worship and small group community. Generosity and faithful financial stewardship. Service of all kinds and being and sharing a witness to God's grace, these are practices that we promise to share as part of this beloved community. And Foundry is only as strong as these practices are among us. When any one of them is neglected, the strength and vitality of our communal life is diminished. Over the past number of years, we've worked here at Foundry systematically to strengthen the resources that help us live out these covenant practices so that what we say, we have the resources and support to learn how to do. As part of that work, the Foundry Board has set an ongoing priority that we deepen our understanding of generosity as a spiritual practice and to increase awareness of the ways that we can practice faithful financial stewardship. You don't always maybe think of it right off the bat, but financial stewardship is, in fact, one of the most profound ways we can practice Jesus' kingdom economy instead of the worldly economy. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about what I was talking about earlier. The the worldly relational economy is transactional. An economy where the sun would throw the earth in debtor's prison and jack up the interest just because it was possible. There are some who bring this way of thinking that they've learned in the world into faith community. They figure that if they're giving to a community, then they should get to stay in control. I'll give if. But you see, part of the spiritual practice, and that's very much what we learn in the world. I'll give, but I gotta get back. 
It's mine. I control it. You see what I did there? See what this? You see, part of the spiritual practice of giving is to learn how to loosen your grip. When we give to support the shared life and mission and ministry of Foundry or any faith community, we do so in relationship with one another. It's an interaction, not a transaction. As a member of the Baltimore-Washington Conference delegation to General Conference, I've been engaged over the past months in diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And our trainer, Dusha Hockett, highlights this distinction between interaction and transaction. Interaction in faith terms is being in mutual relationship with someone we perceive as a sibling, as a, as a fellow child of God. Transaction is using someone more like a thing to try to get what you want or think you need. You see, giving gives us an opportunity to, to practice interaction. When we give, it's in the context of mutual covenant relationship. When we give freely and faithfully and practice doing that, because it takes practice, we allow our gift to flow into the community of which we are a part and within which we have voice and agency. We can participate in crafting and creating together vision and mission. But the gift that we make is not ours to control. It isn't given to hold the community hostage. It isn't only about getting what we ourselves need, as Lynn so powerfully uh, spoke to earlier. Rather, it's about creating community that provides for the needs of the whole family as much as possible. Maybe provides for things that don't really matter to you that much at all, but that mean everything to another member of the family. And then as we do that, our family is able to reach beyond ourselves to do justice and kindness and acts of compassion in the world. The spiritual practice of generosity is countercultural. It is risky. It can make us feel vulnerable and afraid that we won't have enough. So much in the world's economy trains us to be afraid and to do whatever we can to assure our own comfort, our own needs, our own sense of safety, all that defensiveness, control. You see, the practice of giving invites us to try a new way, the kingdom economy, the upside-down way taught by Jesus in the Sermon on the Plain that encourages us, how about this, to practice being uncomfortable, to practice being vulnerable for the sake of others, for the sake of the whole, for the cause of love and of justice, for the common good. 
It encourages us to trust that together with God and supporting one another in mutual relationships of dignity and mercy and compassion, we will always have enough. Just look at what happens when our gifts are given, shining with the love, grace, and generosity of God. They give light to the whole world. Thanks be to God. <laughs>